0: Richard Nixon called a lot of people bastards. American generals, the citizens of North Vietnam, the journalist Dan Rather. And as you'll hear in this clip from his secret White House tapes, he also used the epithet against another branch of government.
1: You
2: know, those clowns we've got on there, I, I, I'll tell you, I hope I outlive the bastards. Well, I hope yeah. you do too. I mean, politically too, because by, we've got to change that court.
0: The Supreme Court has never been more liberal than it was in the 1950s and 60s. Led by Chief Justice Earl Warren, they had banned segregation in public schools, outlawed school prayer, and ruled that every criminal defendant had the right to a lawyer, even if they couldn't afford one. Conservatives accused the Warren Court of legislating from the bench.
1: And it's one of the things that Nixon campaigns on in 1968.
0: That's Jim Robinault, He's a lawyer and the author of the book, January 1973.
1: He is a big opponent of Earl Warren, and he believes that the court is making up rights that aren't in the Constitution. And he wants to appoint only justices who are what he called strict constructionists.
0: Nixon got his chance to change the court right away. Two seats opened up in his first year in office. His first nominee was from Minnesota. Warren Burger sailed through the Senate and became the new chief justice, replacing Nixon's enemy, Earl Warren. For the second seat, Nixon was determined to appoint a Southerner. It didn't go well. A judge from South Carolina got rejected because of his track record on civil rights. The president tried again a few months later, this time with a judge from Georgia. But before the hearings even started, the press uncovered that he had endorsed white supremacy.
2: The Senate today dealt President Nixon another embarrassing defeat, rejecting his second Supreme Court nominee for a seat which already has been vacant 11 months, one of the longest periods in Supreme Court history.
0: A president hadn't botched a Supreme Court nomination this spectacularly since the 1800s. Nixon was determined not to fail again. This time, he got an assist from his new chief justice.
1: Warren Berger called him and said, I think you ought to think about my friend, Harry Blackman.
0: Harry Blackman was a 61-year-old federal appeals court judge. He was also Berger's childhood friend from Minnesota. The two had remained close. Blackman had even been the best man at Berger's wedding.
1: So Berger suggests Blackman, in the next day, The very next day, there is Harry Blackman meeting with Richard
0: Nixon. Blackman had been delighted when his friend was named Chief Justice. He'd even sent Berger some suggestions on how to change things up at the court. But he'd never imagined any of this for himself. Blackman was a former math major. He was known for being deliberate in his thinking and his speech.
2: We've all known the loud talker, the one who preempts the class discussion. One who seems to pull ahead now, early, but who recedes into silence or oblivion when the time for real decision arises.
0: On his flight to meet with Nixon, he made a list of pros and cons for accepting the nomination. He could only come up with cons. My lifelong friendship with the Chief Justice. My taking too long on opinions. My lack of acquaintanceship with Washington Power. But Blackman didn't have much time to second-guess himself. In D.C., he got vetted right away. One official asked if his three daughters, all in their 20s, were hippies. He went to the Oval Office almost immediately to meet with Nixon and his attorney general, John Mitchell. The three men talked about Blackman's finances, which Nixon mocked for being meager.
2: He had come from extreme poverty.
0: Harold Coe was one of Blackman's law clerks.
2: So he was the kind of person who knew exactly how much change was in his pocket.
0: Nixon also warned Blackman that people in Washington would try to influence him and that he would need to resist that. And then, very quickly, the meeting was over.
1: Nixon spends a half an hour with him and decides, okay, this is going to be the guy.
0: Blackman had the nomination, and in that moment, he decided he couldn't turn it down.
1: They told
2: him, you can go back to Minnesota, but don't tell anybody. And during it all, Justice Blackmun had come from Minnesota that morning and hadn't eaten breakfast. So he's incredibly hungry. And Nixon never even offered him a cup of coffee. And he thought, am I going to be in the Oval Office? I'll get, at least get a cup of coffee. And he instead rushes back to the airport and just barely gets on the plane.
0: As soon as Blackman got announced as the nominee, Reporters tried to pin him down on his judicial philosophy.
2: I think if you were to drive me to the wall and force an answer, I would say that I maybe regard myself as somewhat in the center, but uh, I've tried to call every decision exactly as I see it.
0: The centrist from Minnesota didn't offend anyone, and he didn't seem to have any skeletons in his closet either. Richard Nixon finally had a winner.
2: The Senate has unanimously confirmed federal Judge Harry Blackmun's nomination to the Supreme Court.
0: The vote in the Senate was 94 to 0.
2: Still, the judge appeared almost unwilling to believe what had happened. Jokingly, he said the Senate could still change its mind. Finally, he admitted in an almost inaudible voice that
1: he was simply overwhelmed.
0: Blackmun never forgot that he was Nixon's third choice. For the rest of his career, he referred to himself as old number three.
2: He was extremely modest, uh, ludicrously modest. He he always flew coach, and he would be sitting next to Joe Passenger, and they'd say to him, what do you do? And he'd say, oh, I'm a lawyer in Washington.
0: (laughs) Blackman's first year on the job wasn't easy. As the new ninth justice, he was expected to be the tiebreaker in a lot of deadlocked cases. He hated the pressure. He wrote to his friend, the Chief Justice, It is somewhat shattering to start this way. Blackman faced one of his first big tests in June 1971.
2: Sooner or later, we can expect this issue to come before the Supreme Court, and the question there will be the role of the press in a democracy.
0: The court had to rule quickly on whether the New York Times could publish the Pentagon Papers, the Defense Department's secret report on the Vietnam War. The justices decided in favor of the Times and against the White House. That Nixon tape that you heard at the top of this episode, where he calls the justices bastards, that was the president's reaction to losing the Pentagon Papers case.
2: I wanted to tell you that I was so damn mad when that Supreme Court had to come down. At first, I didn't like their decision, but Neither. unbelievable, wasn't it?
0: Not everyone on the court had disappointed Richard Dixon that day. Three of the nine justices took the president's side. Two of them were his own nominees, Warren Berger and Harry Blackmun. That vote on the Pentagon Papers started to establish Blackmun's reputation, he was seen as a Nixon lackey and a carbon copy of Chief Justice Berger.
2: They were called the Minnesota Twins. And I think that way to come to the court, the justice resented a little bit.
0: That's another of Blackman's clerks, George Frampton.
2: He didn't feel he was there to help his own friend. He felt he was there, you know, as his own man.
0: Blackman hated being seen as a political operator. He wanted a chance to establish himself as an independent thinker, separate from the Chief Justice and the President.
2: Justice Blackman is considered a strict constructionist. Yet he told the Judiciary Committee that the Constitution must be interpreted in the light of current problems. That, said Blackman
1: is what we have courts for.
0: A few months after the Pentagon Papers decision, two lawsuits about abortion came before the court. Doe v. Bolton was out of Georgia. Roe v. Wade was from Texas. It would be up to Harry Blackmun to decide their fate. This is Slow Burn. I'm Susan Matthews. Justice Blackmun's research and opinions would determine the future of reproductive rights in America. They'd also set the terms of the abortion debate for the next half century? What did Harry Blackman's opinion say? And what did it leave out? How did he convince so many other justices to sign on? And what kind of mark would the case leave on its author and the rest of the country?
2: How do we tackle a cause and avoid coming up with something worse? What would each of us do if we had the primary responsibility to unravel the
0: problem? This is episode four, Row Against Wade. The rest of this episode is available exclusively to Slate Plus subscribers. Subscribe now by clicking try free at the top of the Slow Burn show page on Apple Podcasts. Or visit slate.com slash slowburnplus to get access wherever you listen. By subscribing to Slate Plus, not only will you unlock the entire season of Slow Burn Roe v. Wade, but you'll also get full access to all your favorite Slate podcasts, all ad-free.